1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio.
2: Good morning, this is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and you have tuned in to Southern Remedy. This is the MPB program where we address your health concerns, maybe it's uh, your own or somebody in your family, or maybe even a friend um, maybe any kind of a question that you have, we are here to try to answer that today or point you in the right direction. Uh, the number to call, if you would like to send us a question is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always email us if you aren't quite, uh, at a phone right now or at a place where you can call, you can email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Rainy day today in the south, uh, looks like across the south and certainly in Mississippi and most parts of the state and sort of that uh, late winter uh, rain. Man, we have gotten a lot of uh, rainfall through this winter and uh, forced a lot of people inside. You know that old adage that your grandmother or maybe your mom used to tell you that... uh, You know, winter, if you get cold and out there in the cold, rainy, wet weather, you're more likely to get sick. Um, Not a whole lot of evidence to support that from the standpoint of the cold, but what it does force us to do is stay inside more and be exposed to people indoors. And uh, that's really where you get sick is when you're exposed to people who are already sick and uh, you have uh, close contact with them. Maybe you're Uh, Touching different things. Speaking of that, do want to, you know, certainly a lot of people have been asking about coronavirus um, outbreak, this novel coronavirus. We talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, You can go back and uh, look at the archive. Uh, Always can look at archive programs uh, that are up on our website, mpbonline.org. But, uh, you know, certainly this is something that's a little bit different from a coronavirus. That's a common virus that causes. Uh, Some common colds most of the time uh, during the wintertime, up to about 25% have been attributed to coronaviruses from time to time. And um, it also, uh, you know, in some instances, As all viruses do, from time to time, they can mutate, and uh, that makes people more susceptible to them. And sometimes those mutated forms can have other effects than you would see with the non-mutated forms or the regular forms. Uh, We know this. In coronavirus, there are two uh, previous forms that uh, cause a lot of problems. One called SARS, uh, which is severe acute respiratory stress uh, uh, syndrome, and uh, there was another one in the Middle East that called something called MERS. Uh, there are other other animals that are reservoirs for these viruses, sort of like the flu. You know, uh, we have pigs and birds tend to be the two biggest re- reservoirs, non-human reservoirs for, for flu virus, uh, coronavirus uh, bats. Um, uh, they think this one may have been attributed to reptiles. We still don't have all the evidence in that of that. Uh, right now, with what we know, uh, you still don't. There's there's no cause for panic within the U.S. In fact, we have relatively low risk of uh, of transmitting this in the same way that it's been transmitted in China. Um, certainly, if you are, or if somebody in your family has gone to this part of China. Uh, in Wuhan or the surrounding areas, uh, you might want to be careful. And certainly if you have symptoms, fever, cough, um, uh, rigors, uh, you, you need to see your physician pretty quick uh, to make sure that uh, that they get you isolated and get you uh, watched pretty carefully a little bit more than what they normally would. But I just want to put th- some things in perspective. Now, you know, we're looking at uh, deaths into the hundreds worldwide of this new form of coronavirus Uh, right now. And if you, particularly in China, if you think about these areas where you have up to 10, 15 million people in the surrounding areas, you have a lot of people who are in close contact. Again, that's one of the major ways that you can spread these viruses. Uh, Just don't have that uh, same density of population in the U.S., particularly not here in Mississippi. Um, But if you put it in perspective with those many deaths and how many people have been exposed Uh, You know, we have um, up into the millions. If you just look at this flu season right now, um, I was going to pull up my data here to make sure I'm not uh, quoting, misquoting things. So just this season, and that's defined as from October 1st through uh, this data goes up through January the 18th. In the U.S., about 15 to 20 million people have been identified as having flu. So this is people that have the symptoms, they've tested positive, um, those you know, 15 to 20 million people just this season. That equates to about 7 to 10 million uh, office visits or medical visits. Sometimes those are to the E.R., um, about 150 to 200,000 hospitalizations just this season for flu-related illnesses. And deaths in the U.S., 8,000 people this year, this season, since October 1st, have died of flu. So just to put that in perspective, and unlike coronavirus, we have really good ways of preventing flu. You know, people sort of blow this off and say, well, if I get it, I get it, I'll be okay. Um, if you look at the perspective of how many people get the flu and how many people die every year, it's actually more than coronavirus worldwide, much, much more, uh, with influenza. So just want to put that in perspective. I'm a big advocate for getting your flu vaccine. I get mine every year to protect not only myself, but others around me. Certainly I don't want my patients or those who are really sick, uh, to get that. So, just want to put in that plug and uh thinking about the you know the perspective there if you're in mississippi or even the south and you have not had any exposure to anybody that's been in uh into china this area where they're having this uh i would not worry about that right now this is uh southern southern remedy uh with uh, dr jimmy here with you this morning and uh want to encourage you to call in early um last week in particular we got man we got a lot of good calls in the second half of the hour uh, but we weren't able to. Uh, we we had to drop a couple of them that were waiting, and we had a couple other people I think that were trying to call in, and we just didn't have enough density here in the in the studio to get to all of those. Um, but um, it, I would encourage you to do that in the first half of the hour. So we've got plenty of open lines right now. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's 1 877 672 7464. You can always send an email. Got two really good emails this week, and uh, we try to hold on to those um, the ones that we feel like would be good for the greater audience and do some programs uh, that just have some email uh, reviews uh, from time to time. Uh, But you can send those emails to remedy at mpbonline.org. Um, Speaking of other things that are common, blood pressure, you know, a lot of people, I think last week we had somebody that called in about uh, their blood pressure uh, and uh, everybody wants to know, uh, you know, I've been dealing with blood pressure off and on for 25, 30 years and have made that a major part of my clinical focus um, in uh, in both adults and children. People want to know, well, what's more important, the top number or the bottom number? The top number is the systolic pressure. The bottom number is the diastolic pressure. And the truth is both of them are important as far as risk those goes. Um, one thing to keep in mind, if you look at the entire population, so if we look at everybody and look at what their blood pressures are, what you what you get is this nice curve of what normal blood pressures are in people, and what we know is is as far as a risk of cardiovascular disease, particularly heart attack and stroke, uh, r- really high in stroke. That the higher your blood pressure is above a systolic, that's that top number, pressure of 115, or a diastolic pressure of about 75, uh, the higher you go up from there, even in the normal quote normal range. As a population, you have an increased risk of those things. So we know down to that, you know, pressure of one fifteen over seventy five. That's that's a good population based pressure. Now, individuals, your physician or your healthcare uh, providers uh, really going to look at uh, what's the optimum blood pressure for you. We do know that uh, there are a lot of benefits for pushing that blood pressure lower. Uh, maybe even lower than the old targets of uh, even 150 over 90 or 140 over 90. Most people can tolerate and uh, probably need to have a blood pressure treatment goal of less than 130 over 80, um, particularly younger people who don't have a whole lot of other problems. But as far as the risk goes, uh, the, the top number, the systolic, over the age of 55, what we do know is that is a more important risk factor than the bottom number it's also less likely that that bottom number is going to be elevated the older you get just because of differences in the compliance of your arterial vessels um, so the top number is more important over the age of 55 there is some data to suggest we really don't have that much data about that bottom number having an increased risk uh, even if you go down to say age 20 but earlier than that, we do know that a, a higher diastolic, the lower blood pressure, is an increased risk factor in children and has been linked for uh, over time to different things. Uh, a lot of Older blood pressure studies that looked at that over time did show that. Um, your physician is probably going to look at both of those numbers. They're both important. Our current blood pressure guidelines, the most recent ones, were uh, were recommended in 2017 by the American Heart Association uh, in conjunction with a number of uh, professional experts in the area. Um, does recommend a blood pressure in adults less than 130 over 80. Uh, so even if you have a normal... Um, systolic pressure, the top number, and your bottom pressure is high, that would sort of necessitate a discussion with your physician about whether or not you need to be on a medication. Certainly you'd need to treat it in some form or fashion, whether that's um, lifestyle changes in what you eat or activity uh, decreasing smoking, decreasing your salt intake, those kinds of things. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning. And uh, the number to call, if you have a question or comment about uh, anything that's going on with your health or somebody else's that's around you, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Got to take a short break. When we come back, more of your health items.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio Podcast.
3: On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me on the show each week are healthcare professionals who add their expertise to the discussion. Listen to the show every Monday at eleven. Or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.
1: This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org.
2: Welcome back to Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning. Uh, it's raining outside, but dry here in the studio. And uh, just wanted to say a couple of words. I was talking to some of my colleagues uh, earlier today and uh, this morning, and we were talking about you know just the different things in the medical profession that can be uh, pluses. And uh, certainly if you're a patient, one of the things that is uh, most important uh, for you is to uh, have a relationship with your physician. And that, that I don't mean like a personal relationship, like a friend or anything like that, but a professional relationship. And uh, there, there's a lot of uh, good data to support that if you do feel that way, that your physician is somebody who you can trust, uh, who has your best interest at heart uh, in their recommendations for things, Uh, then uh, that's going to be somebody that you're probably going to do better as far as what they're treating you for. So if it's, you know, if it is um, diabetes or hypertension or, uh, heart failure, uh, that physician is, uh, if they're truly, you feel like that they have your best interest at heart and you have that kind of relationship with them, then that can, uh, boost the, the effect of your health, uh, in ways that can, uh, that can benefit you. So, uh, it's important to remember that in choosing a physician. I know a lot of us don't have a whole lot of different, cho- uh, uh, you know, specific choices. Um, but, uh, you certainly can, uh, you certainly can uh, ask other people about their experiences uh, with their physician and, uh, and how that's going. But uh, that's very important. Um, you know, being a physician and uh, treating patients, it's, it is is a science, uh, but it's not an exact science every time. And I have certainly uh, run into situations where uh, knowing my patient was just as important as knowing the textbook uh, and knowing the nuances of what they were um, what, they were, uh, what their, their complaints were when they came into the office and sort of knowing what their baseline was uh, and then uh, being able to come up with a diagnosis. Uh, super important to do that. So just something to keep in mind if you're, uh, you know, if you're thinking about a new physician or perhaps uh, uh, somebody that you uh, um, um, are going to see. Ask other people about that and just see what their experiences are. Uh, the number to call today if you have a question about your health or the health of someone around you is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 You can always email us. I know a lot of people aren't able to call. Maybe they're at work or maybe they're at home and they're just busy with other things. And uh, even if it's not while we're on the air, uh, you can always reach us by email at remedy at mpbonline.org. All right, we're going to go to our first caller here. So I think this is uh, Channara. Did I get that right? Hello? Are you with us? Jeremy? Yes, go ahead.
3: Okay. Yes, um, I called last Wednesday, (laughs) Uh, and I'm calling back because I've gotten some different symptoms now. Okay. um, I was being treated for a sinus infection about two weeks ago. I don't know if that actually cleared up or not, but I've been on antibiotics, and I still have a lot of pressure in my head. On top of that, um, I have a lot of pain, like all over. It's uh, it's to the point where it it takes me a few minutes to get up, cause it hurts so bad. Even walking around hurts so bad. I can't even lay down in the bed. Um, my neck sore. My my shoulders. Um, my back. Not my, my, even my fingers. It's like I'm losing my fingers or something. It's like they're kind of drawing up. Um, my wrist hurt, my knees, my ankles, legs. It's just so, I've never experienced this type of pain before.
2: Yeah, it sounds like it's all over.
4: Mhm.
2: Yeah. So, are you have did Did you mention that you had fever at any time with any of this? I
4: did. I had
3: uh, just a low grade fever for about five days straight, but uh-huh. that seems to pretty much have gone away. of okay. Yesterday,
2: and you said you you took antibiotics for that sinus infection or not? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and sinus infections are tricky. Uh, There's not a test uh, that you can say, okay, you've got sinusitis and you don't. Um, So, you know, most of the time we, we sort of go off of symptoms. Now, some of what you're describing now, certainly that wouldn't be, but just because of how it's, you know, it's all over now, it probably wouldn't be from the sinus infection uh, however, you can have viral infections that last that long. Flu is usually not going to last that long, so I think you're probably that's outside of what you have. Um, particularly, and even if you got tested for it at this point, you might test positive on the the rapid flu test that they use. But there's not much to do at this point because it, you know usually you have to catch that within the first day or two to really make a make a dent in the in the symptoms. I'm going to take a stab at it and say there are two possibilities here. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is is you could have very well had the flu or another viral illness. And Mm -hmm. sometimes after that, what your body does is it makes these little antibodies and inflammatory substances to try to deal with that infection. And Mm -hmm. they they go all over the body to uh, fight it off. But you can—they uh, cause a lot of inflammation everywhere as they're fighting off the, the whatever the uh, infection is, and okay. um, that manifests itself as achiness. That's why you get that with the flu. You can get it in your joints. You can get it all over your muscles. So mm-hmm. that's a possibility. Is that this is sort of the downstream effect of your body fighting this off, and it may, okay. you know, it may wane over the next couple of weeks. The other side of it is sometimes your body can do this without an infection. So it may be that the sinus infection just came and maybe a little bit of the fever uh, first, but mm-hmm. that's not what this is. Um, if it persists much longer than an, another week, because you're getting to the point, you know, two weeks, that's what I would I would you know normally say is sort of a normal immunologic response. But if it's mm-hmm. beyond that, I think you need to go back and see your physician because they may... Need to do some tests, looking at inflammation levels in your body, and sort of seeing uh, if there's something else going on. Okay. Very rarely, your body can do some funny things with the immune system, autoimmune type things, but it's still pretty early in your case, and, and uh, I'd give it another week. Uh, certainly, taking things like drinking plenty of fluids and mm-hmm. um, and either Tylenol or ibuprofen uh, for the aches or pains. Certainly, that's that's something that I would I would say do. Uh, but uh, I'd probably give it another week. But then I'd probably, if it's still going on then, you need to go back because there's a lot of other things that can cause inflammation in the body and uh, and then could uh, cause those same symptoms. Okay, well,
3: thank
2: you so much. All right, thanks for All calling. Right.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. I'm going to go to Kimberly. Good morning, Kimberly.
0: Good morning.
2: Thanks for calling.
0: Thanks. Thank you. I, um, a year ago I had, uh, as leftover from a sinus infection, I had fluid trapped in one ear and I went to an ENT and she said I needed surgery to drain it. And I thought, well, that's more money and time than I have. So I tried a chiropractor and he put this thing up against my neck called an activator that, that kind of shoots you with pressure. And, uh, He did it maybe, I don't remember, maybe three times. And after that, I had this strange headache, and I don't tend to get headaches, but I had a headache right where he had hit me, but all along the base of my skull, which is, but he had pointed it at the back of my neck along the base of my skull, and I thought, well, maybe he hit the bone and wasn't supposed to. I don't know. But it hurt for, I had a terrible headache for three weeks, and then it finally went away. And it has come back a year later, so I'm wondering, should I be, should I be worried about it? Should I, and do you think there's anything that's wrong that I could actually even do anything about?
2: Yeah. So, so an activator, it looks sort of like a, it looks like a syringe, basically, like a, mm-hmm. and uh, basically, it's a, it's, it causes an impact force. So chiropractors use. I'm not a chiropractor. Uh, but, uh, this is, this is what they use in, in part of, uh, you know, applying pressure. Uh, but it, it, it has sort of a, um, an impulse force if you want to call it that. So it sort of has this impulse force in different parts of the body. And the theory is that that can sort of release different things, uh, that it can move things around. Um, I, you know, if you had pain, here's my, even if something I did, I do in the office, if something causes pain, probably you shouldn't have it done over and over again. So that's that's my my take on that. Now, as far as, uh, you know, it sounds like you may have had, you know, a little bit more force to that area, which caused the headache to begin with. I can't tie that a year later to something, though. So that's that's the only thing that does not fit. Uh, now, certainly you could do something in all those muscles around our necks um, and in the upper back. Because we, you know, our head weighs a pretty good amount, and uh you can have very small changes in posture uh that you may not even recognize. You can do things with your head, you can even turn it a certain way that normally wouldn't cause any problems, and you can have similar things go on. So that's a pos that's probably the most likely possibility is that there's there's a muscle where it attaches to the to your skull in the same point uh part, or a nerve that's uh gotten inflamed for whatever reason. Um I, you know other than that i would try just some old you know at home remedies uh certainly a, a warm or cold compress i would probably do a cold compress uh to that area and just see if that uh, sort of relieves it um but the initially yeah you can you know if you if you those activators again i'm not a chiropractor i'm not putting down chiropractors <laughs> but that's certainly something that could happen where you could have an injury to that spot that probably caused the headache. But I can't really make it, you know, unless it was, it would have to have been, you know, really a big force to persist. And you probably wouldn't have had a year without any symptoms in between.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking. It just is odd that it's in the same spot that he did it. And I only went to him that one time. He did it three times in that one visit.
4: Uh-huh.
0: But, um, but just for people who do have, I, I was unable to hear out of that ear for four months. Um, and for anybody that has that problem, I will say that what eventually fixed it was a $4 bottle of antihistamine.
2: Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I was a little surprised to hear that the ENT recommended surgery uh, because middle ear effusions, that's just fluid in the middle ear cavity on the other side of the eardrum. Uh, it. It that's a common thing that that we use all the time and that sort of dries up some of the fluids there that are inside the ear and usually you don't have to have, you know, it drained. I'm not aware of any evidence that any kind of manipulation can affect fluid levels in the middle ear. So I'll just throw that out there right. too for everybody all who's right. listening. They're like, Well, maybe I might, you know, go to the chiropractor for that. I would probably for that. I would probably advise against that because I'm not aware of any kind of evidence that suggests that you can decrease middle ear effusions from any kind of manipulation. Um, but uh, and you can't open up the eustachian tube that way. It's a soft tissue tube and it doesn't work that way. So, um, but yeah, I mean that's that's the first thing I probably would have done. Would say, have you tried something like Zyrtec or Allegra or Claritin uh, or even Benadryl? And uh, a lot of times that'll that'll fix things.
0: Well, thank you so
2: much. All right, Kimberly, thanks for calling, and <laughs> nice. uh, good luck to you. Uh, and, uh, you know, if it's not uh, clear enough, I'm, I'd go to your regular physician to say, hey, can you take a look at this area? Is there anything that I can do? All right, this is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and uh, the number to call if you have any questions or comments is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven 672 We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to join V.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission.
2: I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app.
1: This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org.
2: Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning and uh, taking your phone calls. That's right, plenty of time for you to call in about any kind of thing. Maybe it's a medication or maybe it's some symptoms that you're having. We'll take a stab at it. Can't say that I always can get you the correct answer, but we are sure going to try to do that. You can reach us live this morning by calling one mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to V from Waynesburg. Good morning, V.
0: Good morning. My question is um, in regards to the disc in the neck. Yeah. Um, um, right side, the right side only. Um, um, can't recall the diagnosis. Uh, however, PT was helpful, and I continue the exercise, and that's very helpful. Um, when the nerve impulses uh, signal pain in the uh, right uh, neck, shoulder area.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Treatment, could you speak on the uh, topic?
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, we have these discs. Uh, We've talked about that before, but basically they're cushions in between the vertebrae, the uh, spinal vertebrae in our back. So our vertebrae help... Us to stand upright. It helps us to move. They give us a, a great amount of mobility. And where they they articulate or they uh, they bump up against one another is where those discs sort of come into play with cushioning. So as we walk, as we jump, and moving around, that's that's the kind of things that they do. Uh, as we get older, those discs become less cushiony, and particularly the interior part can sort of bulge out, and then it can it can push out through. The normal disc And then it pushes on everything in the vicinity And we have a ton of nerves coming out of there th- From our spinal column uh, Some of those nerves Well they do all kinds of different things But you know, two of the main things that they do Is they control motion So those are motor neurons And then they control uh, sensory por- uh, thing. So, you know, all the sensation that you get uh, from your body that comes back up to through the spinal cord of the brain. So what happens when those uh, discs at whatever level, it can be in your neck all the way down to your lower back. If they push on some of those nerves and you start to have pain and you can also have weakness and depending on where they are, that's what they affect. So if they're in the upper neck, they can affect the nerves going out to your shoulder, uh, into your arm. Uh, they can affect the the strength that you have there. They can also affect sensation. Um, and V, you're right. Uh, one of the first things that you can do is physical therapy. That helps. It does a couple of different things. It, it strengthens the muscles around those vertebrae to help take some of the work off the vertebrae. Uh, physical therapy is very good at doing that it decreases pain it increases your mobility and uh, in a lot of way a lot of times you can hold off doing anything else more severe doing that there's some uh, you know medications that can be prescribed too for this some are uh, to deal with chronic pain we have to be very careful with opioids these days just because of it's very easy for somebody to get hooked on this particularly in a situation like your. are uh, you, you have, but there's a lot of other medications out there uh, that are novel that deal with chronic pain, particularly if it has to do with nerve type pain. And then the other thing that you can do is sort of help to loosen up that area. Certainly, physical therapy can be very useful to because anytime you have those muscles go into spasm around those where the, that disc is bulging out it's probably going to increase the pain that you're having. Um, so a mild muscle relaxer is very useful, uh, particularly at night as people, you know, when they're sleeping, uh, that can be useful. Now, if none of that works, then you're looking at probably surgery. The good news is, V, uh, unlike the lower back uh, where, you know, it's it's not quite as good outcomes, the upper neck uh, or the neck in general, if you have a bulging disc has a much better prognosis if you have to do surgery. Uh, As with any surgery, you want somebody that that is their expertise. That's what they do a lot of. Um, You know, it's like a mechanic. When you go to a mechanic, if they're used to, if you have a BMW or a Volvo, you want somebody that's used to working on those types of cars. Uh, Same thing with surgeons. If they're used to doing these surgeries and they have good outcomes, uh, that's who you want. Um, it's a little different in that they, it sounds horrendous, but it actually is not that it's not as bad as it sounds. They actually go in through the front of your neck because your, your vertebral bodies are right there. It's actually pretty easy to get to, uh, to, uh, to take that disc out and sometimes fuse one or two of those, um, one or two of those vertebrae together so that they're not moving around, uh, much better outcome again, than, than having lower back surgery, um, and you certainly want to be sensitive. You don't want it to go too long because you can actually lose sensation in your hands or or sometimes strength in your hands if you let it go too long. But, V, if you're having a good outcome with physical therapy, stick with that. Um, go to your, you know, go, uh, ask or go to a surgeon who knows what they're doing and get a good assessment if you they think that uh, that surgery is something that would be beneficial.
0: What type of... um doctor
2: or bone specialist? Two, two types that do this type of surgery. Uh, there's one group that are the orthopedic surgeons, and again, they have different areas that they specialize in. Some are, are back surgeons, some are knee surgeons, but, uh, some, and some do everything. In your case, though, I probably would choose somebody who has more expertise in, in the back, so any type of back orthopedic surgeon. And then the other group of surgeons is the neurosurgeons, Um, and both of those, again, if they do a lot of these, I'd ask them, that's a legitimate question to ask when you're calling in, uh, in most bigger groups, um, are going to have, you know, somebody that that's pretty reputable in doing those. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Good luck to you. Neck pain is not fun, um, and just you know, our backs are so—they're designed for such movement and uh, can give you a lot of mobility. It is just hard sometimes to uh, uh, to get to a point where you can take the pressure off of them, and you know a lot of our a lot of our chronic things that we do, whether that's gaining weight. Uh, I can certainly put a lot of pressure in ways that were not designed to put pressure on the back. Um, uh, Improper posture. I know in my case, I have back pain, particularly if I'm sitting for long periods of time. Uh, I love to stand up, uh, uh, walking around. I feel much better than when I'm sitting, particularly these days. I have a lot more meetings to go to and sitting uh, but that certainly uh, you can do those kinds of things in strengthening exercises, particularly for your core muscles. That's your abdominal muscles and your back muscles. That can help prevent some of that back pain too, particularly if you have an old injury. This is Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Jerry in Madison. Good morning, Jerry.
5: Good
1: morning. I had
5: retina reattachment surgery in my right eye a little over a year ago Uh and it seems like it's starting to get foggy the vision in that eye and it's it's not uncommon for cataracts to form i I believe and if that is the case can that be addressed by my, my you know the eye doctor
2: yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, one of the complications with that, the retina, if for those of you who don't know, is the back part of the eye. That, that That's the, the cells that uh, allow us to see. So they allow us to see light, movement, colors. And what happens, uh, sometimes it, your eye can be shaped a certain way that those, those layer of cells just sort of peel off and it detaches. Or it can be caused by trauma uh people may remember decades ago Sugar Ray Leonard had this after a a uh, boxing match uh, when he got hit in the in the eye so uh there are ways to tack that down they can sometimes do a laser tacking or surgical reattachment of that, particularly if they catch it early. If you don't catch it early enough though, it can cause a permanent you know permanent damage to your site. Um, complications, certainly there are complications. There are two areas in the eye that you can have complications. Uh, some of the most more common ones you mentioned one with cataracts, um, and that has to do with the lens in the eye. So sometimes it can get sort of cloudy where you can't see. Uh, That has become a very routine, very low-risk surgery. Um, So certainly your eye doctor, your ophthalmologist, not optometrist, but ophthalmologist can uh, either do that himself or get you to somebody who uh, who's a reputable person who can do that. But there there may be some other problems, too. I, I, the first thing you need, Jerry, is to have an ophthalmologist relook at the eye, see if it's a cataract or see if it's a problem in the vitreous, which is sort of the gel-like substance that's uh, between the retina, which is in the back part of the eye, and the lens that's in the front part of the eye. Or it may be something totally different. There may be some pressure changes in it. Uh, a lot of different things that can cause those type of symptoms.
5: Right. Well, I have a follow-up visit the end of next month so I'll just wait and go there and see what he says then just tell him what the situation is and we'll go from there
2: yeah uh, uh, things to call sooner if you have uh if you've got pain or redness in the eye that you can see uh if you have a sudden loss of vision if it looks like it did probably when you had that retinal detachment sort of you have that sheet sort of come down Obviously, those are all things that you want to call sooner, but I think from what you're describing, you probably would be okay with with waiting for that appointment.
5: All right. Thanks for your help. All
2: right. Thanks, Jerry, for calling. Eye problems. Always uh, uh, common things that come into the office, and uh, you you want a good ophthalmologist that knows what they're doing and uh, can give you a looking over, because some of these things uh, present uh, in a way that you wouldn't think it's not that big a deal, but if you don't, jump on it really quickly you can lose sight in, the, in your eye and certainly there's a lot of uh, debilitating uh, downstream effects with that uh, this is southern remedy dr jimmy with you this morning and the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven we are going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to go to tim in bogalusa
1: This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org.
2: Welcome back to Sun and Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you live this morning. We're taking your calls about all those kinds of things that you are concerned about this morning. We're going to go to Tim in Bogalusa. Good morning, Tim.
5: Yes, sir. How are you?
2: Good. Thank you for calling.
5: Uh, as I told you, caller, gradual loss of some smell in the last few years. Now I'm losing taste. Any ideas or suggestions, ear, nose, and throat guy three or four years ago didn't really have any answers. He uh, almost came to the conclusion and just kind of
2: S.O.L. <laughs> yeah, I th- Those are hard things to lose. And, uh, you, you know, you may think, well, that's not a big deal. Uh, it can be a huge deal with uh, what you eat. And, uh, and, and even like if you think about some of the ways that we detect problems with food, uh, you can have a lot of problems. Tim, how old are you? Sixty-seven, okay. And uh, did you have any kind of head trauma at all at any time in your life, or about the no, time, that, n- none at
5: been, all? <laughs> would have been way back as far as any head trauma, Okay. But I've had a lot, of, a lot of hay fever, that type stuff through the years, and I've actually, I, all I can attribute, I've got that a lot better under control, doing more digestive enzymes and probiotics, that's the only thing different. I do a lot of supplements.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. So, so you mentioned a couple of things. So, our, our um, the way we smell, we have these uh, neurons that are really close to the brain. So, the olfactory nerve uh, bulb in the brain is up front and it sits right over where the nose is and those nerves go straight into it through little holes in the skull uh, from the nasal cavity. So they're sort of exposed there. And, uh, any, if, if you live long enough, you're probably going to lose at least some of your sense of smell. I know a lot of people don't, but, uh, just because you have trauma over the years to those, uh, neurons, uh, they don't easily grow back. Um, and, uh, that's why I was asking some of those other questions, certainly hay fever, chronic inflammation, uh, those kinds of things can affect it. Smell and taste are very closely related. And some of the things that we think we're tasting, we're actually smelling. Uh, so if your, neur- your neurons uh, that go, you know, that, that are uh, te- normally working for smell, if they're destroyed for whatever reason, then that can affect your taste. Um, that's probably the short answer. There's not really anything to do that can, can reverse that other neurologic diseases to my knowledge aren't associated with that so if you have some problems with you know with with uh with if you have a neurologic condition that's probably not related to to the smell or the taste problems that you're having um sometimes treating those things it may you know be having chronic inflammation like you mentioned you know chronic hay fever or allergic rhinitis where you got a lot of uh, mucus buildup in the nose. Sometimes if you treat that with even just a nasal wash, you can recover some of that smell back. Smokers, this is a common thing with them too. They tend to lose uh, their sense of smell, but then when they quit, it can return a little bit. Um, an ear, nose, and throat doctor may be somebody that you, I think you mentioned you you'd seen somebody, but that may be somebody that you see or even a second opinion just to see if they can see anything that they can do or recommend, but I'm not aware of anything to improve it. If it's gone, it's not much you can do to recover it.
5: All right, well thanks.
2: All right, Tim, sorry about that. Um but thanks for sharing that. It's um it's a it is a very frustrating thing to lose those uh lose any kind of sense, but those senses in in particular. Let's go to Alicia in Pascagoula. Good morning. Good morning.
4: Um so you were, were talking to one of your, uh, your, your, I guess your listeners, a few minutes ago, and um, you mentioned a legitimate question to ask a doctor. And you also mentioned earlier today about the idea of, of having a good relationship with a doctor. And I've always struggled with trying to find and identify um, good physicians um, upfront, for, both for my primary care and as specialists. Mm-hmm. So and you know we're supposed to be you know conscientious and and good consumers of healthcare and i i've struggled with trying to figure out how to do that how do you um identify who is a good doctor i mean having a license is not i guess a sufficient qualification for me like how do you how do you identify a good doctor besides you know asking folks is there a site website you can go to that you will be able to pull some of the
2: information. Yeah, so there are a couple of different things. Now, I think certainly board certification and whatever physician you're looking at is important. That says that they've passed all the tests and that they're continuing to uh, maintain that certification. We call it maintenance of certification uh, in that area of expertise. But there's a lot of other things going into being a physician, and some physicians are just going to fit better with different, you know, with, with certain patients. So all that being said, there are a couple of other things. Health Grades is a website that you can go to, and you can look at these kinds of other non-board certification issues uh, and, and areas, like how... Uh, comfortable did you feel in the office uh, and you know that's something too that you have to look at. A lot of people are like you know i I really I like my physician, but I don't like the whole experience of going to him. uh that that's important too um, but I've found that word of mouth probably is one of the biggest things if you if you know of people who are similar in background and similar um, personality type as you. Uh, if you ask them who's their physician, and if they, you know, if they say, "Oh, I love my physician. We get along great. I feel like I can trust them. Uh, I feel like I can go to them, you know, with any kind of questions that I have," and if they're like you, chances are you're probably going to get along with those physicians too, and it would be a good, you know, a good physician-patient relationship. Uh, but that's pretty powerful. But there are some other, uh, you know, websites out there. Health Grades is one though that I'm familiar with that does have those kinds of things published.
4: Okay, and um, how about understanding whether or not the physician has had a number of serious um, I, I, I guess
2: outcomes? Yeah. So health serious outcomes. Yeah, health grades can do that too. There's a, a There's a national physician database, uh, particularly for you know surgical subspecialties, and they can uh, list those kinds of things like complications. Uh, but if you Google that on the internet, you can certainly pull that up and you can get that. And then just asking them when you go to see a physician, asking them, what's your complication rate? They're going to know it. Uh, if they are reluctant to give it to you, uh, or hedge it on it, uh, you might want to check out a new physician. All right. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right. Yeah, sure. Thank you for calling, Alicia. All right. Quickly, we're going to try to squeeze in some more callers here. So let's go to Melinda in Mobile. Good morning, Melinda.
5: Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. How are you today?
2: Good. How about yourself?
5: Not bad. I want to ask a little bit if you can comment on, and I'll, I'll ring off and listen, but I have inherited from my mom macular degeneration. I'm 73. And I've had it, I want to say, about six or seven years. Uh, my ophthalmologist is amazing, and I never miss my appointment. Mm-hmm. But um, she is watching it, and she also recommended that I speak with their retinologist who is working with um, his partner um, pretty much exclusively on macular. So I'm wondering um, what you can tell us um, about the the, uh, the state of research now and where are we with this um, disorder
2: yeah. And it's, you know, you, you touched on some of the issues. So this is one of the more common inheritable causes of visual loss and it affects the macula, which is the area of central vision. So it's, it's almost like you, you lose exactly what you're looking at straight ahead, but you have the periphery as you can still see very frustrating, very debilitating. Um, it is something that you can inherit and and you can sort of track this uh, in families, Um, there's been a lot of studies on things to prevent that, particularly in families that are higher risk, things like vitamin E and different things that you can, you know, Mm -hmm. dietary things that you can do once you're diagnosed with it, though, there are a couple of things that are out there. Um, I don't know, there, there's a couple of, uh, immunologic treatments, uh, Mm -hmm. that are under development or either in, in, you know, that your, your physician may say, Hey, I want to try this. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, monoclonal antibodies. I don't do it, and I'm not an ophthalmologist, so I don't know all the names of it. But mm-hmm. basically, there's an immunologic uh, component to this. That if you, if is, you,
5: is that uh, injections? By yes, any
2: chance? yeah, uh-huh. okay, yes. Yeah, I,
5: I have heard of that. Uh-huh. And, um, when they first told me about it, I went, Oh, I'm not afraid of a shot, you know, and then it's not at all as bad as it sounds, you know, which was comforting. You know, so that i'll I'll uh, continue to ask about that, but um uh, my mom lost her vision in about three weeks. I mean, it took no time, so i I really yeah. would like to avoid it, but I'm not sure I'll be able to however, I've had it a while, and um,
2: is yours wet or dry
5: wet
2: yeah yeah, then that's the least common among uh, the yes. two yeah. yeah so but yeah i would i would. T- it sounds like that's what they're doing is the thing that you know the injection certainly can help. And uh, we didn't okay. have that, you know, not too long ago. That's been a big plus for people who have macular degeneration. Mm-hmm. So,
5: And my retinologist said that he thought it, uh, we would have a good outcome. I don't know what that meant, but I I just took his word for it. Yeah, <laughs> but, preserving what, yeah.
2: what vision you have and preventing the, the loss in the future. That's probably the biggest yeah. things that they're talking about. All right, Melinda, thank you for calling. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. This has been Southern Remedy, which is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. I'm Dr. Jimmy. Thank you for joining us today. And thanks to all our callers who called in. Maybe you didn't quite get, we didn't quite get to your call. You can call back next Wednesday at 11 at, uh, at Southern Remedy. Stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now on MPB Think Radio.